0: Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 21, question and answer 54. There we have God's Word summarized as follows What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself, by his spirit and word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 40, stanzas 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, when you made your way to church this morning, you likely will have driven past several different churches. You ignored those churches and came to this church? In spite of the many choices available to you, you came here. Why? Have you ever given that serious thought? What is it about this church that makes you want to be here? Is it because this is the church in which you have grown up? Or because you have relatives and friends here? Or is it because you are convinced that this is the right church to go to, or are there other reasons? Have you ever also seriously thought about why there are so many churches in the first place? Is that to be expected? If so, why? Some people do not mind that there are all kinds of churches. They like the variety. They also like the choices that they can make. If you do not like it in one church, you can always try another church. People should be able to choose whatever church they want to go to, shouldn't they? Why stay in a church if they get on your case? Who needs the hassle? God gathers his church all over. And through faith, we're all part of the one body of Christ. As long as you worship him and go to church, then God does not really care. He knows that we are sinful people and takes our sinful condition into account. That's what some people think. Other people think differently. To others, church membership is a matter of obedience, not a matter of preference. And they believe that the right membership is very important. Lord's Day 21, question and answer 54, confronts us with these questions. Lord's Day 21, however, summarizes God's word. In other words, our opinion is not what counts, but God's opinion. And therefore, it is important that we look at this from a biblical perspective. And so this morning, I will preach to you about the biblical doctrine concerning the church of God. Then we will look at two things. First of all, the gathering of God's church, and then secondly, the attack against God's church. The biblical doctrine concerning the church of God. First, the gathering of God's church. Secondly, the attack against God's church. First, and the gathering. The Eidelberg Catechism asks, what do you believe concerning the holy Catholic Christian church? And so, in the question itself, it describes already some of the qualities of the church. First of all, we speak about church. The word church is derived from the Greek word kurios, which means Lord. The church refers to those who belong to the Lord. The church is not a building made up of bricks and mortar. No, the church exists of living stones, of living members. When the Bible speaks about the church, it speaks about those who belong to God. The church refers to the people of the Lord God. And that church is called a holy church. You and I are holy members, saints. That doesn't mean that we are a bunch of holy rulers. We all know better. We're all sinful people. We're not all that different from unbelievers either, from those who do not belong to the church. We fall into the same sins as the world does. The main difference between us and unbelievers, however, is that we do not want to live in our sins. And therefore, we also ask for the forgiveness of sins. We want to live according to God's laws. And because of that, the Holy Spirit makes us holy. Not because we are holy of ourselves... In other words, through the work of the Holy Spirit, our sins are forgiven, and the Holy Spirit also makes us heartily ready and willing to live a life pleasing to God. And that is why the doctrine concerning the church is also dealt with under the heading of the Holy Spirit. It is God's Holy Spirit who makes the church on earth holy. And so, in the final analysis, there is a great difference between God's people and the people of the world. It's important that we properly understand this, because not everybody does. People easily point their fingers at others and are keenly aware of their many faults and shortcomings. They look at people in the church and found them all wanting. The young people are not spiritual enough. The average Joe in the pew is not active enough. They should be doing this or they should be doing that. Some people in the church drink too much or are too materialistic or are too rigid. And so the list can go on and on and on. And some of that criticism may be well deserved. And these things may also need to be mentioned. But if that's where your starting point is, then you've got it all wrong. That's also how the people of the world look at the people of the church. It only sees the people. It does not see God's work in those people. And so we have to look at how God defines the church. In the church, we read, amongst other things, that The church is the bride of Christ. A husband who dearly loves his wife does not want his wife's reputation damaged in any way. No, he will protect her reputation and he will fight for her honor. And the same thing is true of a loving wife. She does not want anyone to speak ill of her husband either, nor of the relationship that they have together. And because Christ, the groom, loves the church, his bride, he has also done some wonderful things for her. Paul says in Acts 20, verse 28, that the Lord Jesus Christ paid for the church with his precious blood. He gave his life for her. That is the only way that we could become the bride of Christ. And so, when you speak ill of the church... And then you speak ill of the bride of Christ. And then you speak ill of the divine relationship that there is between God and his people. He he shows in numerous ways that the church is his pride and joy. That is why he came down to earth, brothers and sisters. That is why he did the things that he did. And he says... That he loves her in spite of the many sins and shortcomings that he finds in the church. For those sinful people, you and me, those sinful people who belong to the church, will one day be perfected and become part of the large multitude who will sing God's praises forever and ever around his glorious throne. He is preparing them for that day. He is preparing us for that day. Because he loves us. And he loves us now. But who exactly are those people whom he loves? Well, they are all kinds of people. They are people from all over the world, from every possible ethnic background. And that is why we also refer to the church as being Catholic. Catholic. That means universal, worldwide. The Lord has been gathering his church from the beginning of time and continues to do so also today. It is an ongoing work to which there will be an end only on the last day. On that day, the church will be complete. Now then, when you put all these people together whom he has gathered from the whole world throughout all ages... Then you see the church of Christ. God gathers them from all over the world and he gathers them through all kinds of different people. People with different temperaments, people with different backgrounds, people who are easy to get along with and people who are not so easy to get along with. All kinds of people. He gathers them from all over the world. However, it is impossible for man, with his limited vision, to see that whole church. Only God has that kind of vision. For that reason, some people also speak about the invisible church. The church is visible to God, they say, but it is invisible to us. But is it helpful to speak about the church in that way? Well, there are different ways in which you can speak of the invisible church. Some will refer to the invisible church as being in heaven. That is the sum total of the saints who are now in heaven, whereas we are on earth. And they are the souls, as it says in Revelation, the souls that sit around the throne of God. And because they are in heaven, we cannot see them. They are invisible to us. However, so they say, through faith we can be part of that invisible church. Through faith we can belong to those, as it says in Hebrews 12, verse 23, whose names are written in heaven. Others speak about the invisible church as the sum total of all believers all over this world. And then you find them in the Baptist church, in the Roman Catholic church, in the Pentecostal church, and in virtually every Christian church here on earth. It is the believers who make up the church. You cannot see them, for they are scattered all over. And you cannot know exactly who they are either. For you cannot look into the hearts of men to see whether or not he or she is a believer. Only God knows these things. They are hidden to us. Only he knows who belong to the church and who does not. For him the church is visible, but for us invisible. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God is almighty. He can see and he can hear and he can know everything. His vision cannot be compared to ours. We are very limited in our abilities. But God does give you and me the ability to see. And he does give us the ability also to see the church. Where the church is. How she is being gathered. And but we can only see what God has revealed. What he has revealed about the church. And God has very clearly revealed to us. What the church of God looks like. Through his word and spirit. He has made the church visible for us. That does not mean that we can see all the churches all over the world, but we don't need to either. Listen to how the Catechism summarizes God's word concerning the church. The Catechism gives a beautiful description of what the church is. It is a masterful confession. After telling us that it is the Son of God who gathers... Defends and preserves for himself God's church. The catechism then tells us that he, that, that, how he does that and where he does that. He does that through his word and spirit. And he does that there where there is the unity in, of true faith. And so, do you want to see the church of God? Then open your eyes and open your ears to God's word. Is God's word being proclaimed in that church? Is God's word central in the worship service? Or are the musicians the central part of the worship service, as is the case in some churches? Or is God's word put on the same level as other writings, men's writings? Does the church pay more attention to what fallible secular scientists say who believe in evolution Or does it teach that the Almighty God created everything in six days, as is also clearly stated in the Bible? Does the church clearly preach that God is the one who not only created us, but also recreates us in his image? Does the church give full glory to him? Or does the church teach that man is capable of doing something himself first, for example, that he of his own can come to faith before he can become a child of God. It is true, of course, that here on, here on earth there is no church that is perfect in every way. We cannot claim that about Emmanuel Church either. There are many shortcomings. I don't have to tell you that. And the way that God's word is handled is done with many imperfections, also from this pulpit. However, there must be a true desire and a sincere striving for obedience to God's word. We may not add to God's word, nor may we take away from it. And therefore, with regard to the church, we also have to ask whether or not we are adding something. Does the church put, an, put on an equal level with God's word the musings and writings and decisions of councils throughout the centuries, as the Roman Catholic Church does, for example? Or does the church add the words of a Mrs. White or a Joseph Smith? Those writings of men then replace God's word. But the writings of men congregation always have to be tested by the word of God. And therefore we do not take the words even of learned and biblical men such as John Calvin or Abraham Kuiper or Klaas Schilder as authoritative, except if they are tested by God's word. For there are men who lead God's word or lead God's people astray. Why do they do that? That brings us to the second point. Well, listen to what, it's, what Paul says to Timothy. Paul says to him that in later times, some will abandon the faith and will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings, says he, come through hypocritical liars. And then he enumerates some of the things that they teach. For example, they teach an ascetic lifestyle. That is, a lifestyle that would you deny, that would have you deny all kinds of things. They even said that people should not marry and that they should abstain from certain fruits. They also come with godless myths and with wives tales. In other words, they come with their own opinion as to serve, as to how to serve God. And they were like the Pharisees who came with all kinds of rules and regulations made by men. And how the Lord Jesus Christ warned against them. It's work righteousness. Some people are very good at keeping all kinds of rules. But they are their own rules. They're not God's rules. And they make these rules in order to show how pious they are and how others don't measure up and they believe that by keeping those rules they can please God well we all have a tendency that way we all like shortcuts it's easier to serve God by rules and regulations and rituals that is much easier than serving him with our whole heart and soul and mind as God requires Of course, he does require rules, and he does want us to follow certain traditions. But they have to be biblical rules and biblical traditions. And they have to be done only for the maintenance and enhancement of the relationship. If you just go through the motions without committing yourself to the Lord, then you are not truly serving him. Isn't that the way it is also in a good marriage? If you think that all you have to do to please your partner in your marriage is to give him or her a gift once in a while, or to remember his or her birthday or anniversary, and to keep some of the other rituals of married life, if you think that that is the way to maintain your relationship, then you are wrong. For then you are just going through the motions. Then you are not doing them out of love. You're doing them out of duty, out of habit, And then you might as well not do them at all. These things have to be done out of a deep love that lives within you. They have to be done because you want to please your partner. Because you have a good relationship with him or her. You do it because you truly appreciate him or her. Now the same thing is true with regard to our relationship with the Lord. Already in the Old Testament, we read time and again that the Lord does not delight in sacrifices. Think of Psalm 51. David says that there. Others say it as well. Jeremiah, Isaiah. That does not mean that the Lord God does not require those circum, those sacrifices. Oh yes, they had to do them. But ultimately, it wasn't about the sacrifice but it was about the heart of the person. The sacrifices have to be made because of the deep awareness of the wonderful relationship between God and man. They have to be done because of the realization that we are indebted to God and that in spite of that great debt that we owe him, that he wants to forgive that debt for the sake of the relationship the covenant relationship. He wants there to be a relationship between him and man where all obstacles have been removed. But too many Israelites went through the motions only, and that was their downfall. They served Him only by their rituals and by their traditions. And that happens today as well. There are those who only want to do things the way they have always been done before. In itself, that is not bad. But if you only do the things because of the rules, because that is how you can, so you think, only please God, then you are wrong. They take comfort out of the rituals and the rules and the regulations. They may not even know why certain things are done, except that that is the way it always has been done, and therefore it should always be done that way. We don't have to look at the Roman Catholics or the Anglicans or the Greek Orthodox churches in that regard. Just look at our own backyards. Take a look at our own hearts. How do we celebrate the Lord's Supper, for example? Do we serve God because of the ritual or because of our contrite hearts? And what about baptism? Why do we have our children baptized? Out of tradition? or because of the deep realization of the covenant relationship that we have with the Lord our God. Think, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, about why we worship God. It is really no wonder that there are so many churches all over. The Bible teaches us about the true nature of man. When man follows his own heart, and then he wants to be recognized and receive the glory that was the sin already in paradise and that continues to be the sin of mankind think of the disciples of the Lord Jesus for example when they were arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and who would be sitting at the right hand of the Lord Jesus and the life hereafter the one wanted to be greater than the other There is nothing new under the sun. The same thing happens in the church today. And that is why some people also leave the church. They don't get enough recognition. They don't get enough attention. And so they leave for another church. Or they start their own. Divisions also come about when someone who is different from us belongs to the same church and we do not like it. That's what happened already in the early church when the Grecian Jews complained about the Hebraic Jews. Groups of different cultural and ethnic backgrounds tend to be suspicious of each other. And that drives a wedge. We also tend to be followers of men, which causes us to be divided. Paul complains about that to the Corinthians where he says that some of them say that they are followers of Paul and others followers of Apollos, and others followers of Cephas. He says, is Christ divided? There's only one voice that you should listen to, and that is the voice of the great shepherd. Oh sure, the voice of the great shepherd is heard through men, through the leaders in the church. But those shepherds had better have the same voice as the Lord Jesus Christ. When we read from John 10, we read about the Good Shepherd and that the sheep know the voice of the Good Shepherd. The sheep would never follow a stranger. In fact, the sheep will run away from them because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. It's a beautiful image that the Lord Jesus gives us here. The people who first heard these words knew exactly what he meant. For in Israel's times, there were many shepherds. And these shepherds would share their resources. At night, they would gather together all the sheep from the various shepherds into one enclosure. In this way, only one of them would have to stand watch, only one at a time. And the watchman would make sure that the wild animals would not harm them and that the sheep will not escape their enclosure. However, in the morning, the individual shepherds would gather their own sheep around them again. And how do you think those shepherds would do that? Well, quite simply, they would call out to them and those sheep would hear their shepherd's voice. And each sheep knew the voice of his own shepherd. In this way, each shepherd would gather his own flock. Well, says the Lord Jesus, that is also how I gather my sheep. My sheep know my voice. And where do you hear the voice of our shepherd, brothers and sisters? You hear the voice of our shepherd in God's word. You hear his voice in the gospel. If you are familiar with his voice, then you also know his ways. And then you also know that he is out there to keep you from harm and to comfort you when you are down and out and to protect you from the wolves, and from all kinds of danger. Those who know the Lord Jesus know what a wonderful shepherd he is. And they do not want to listen to the other voices out there, to the voices heard in the world, to the voices of false shepherds, of those who are only out to fleece the sheep, Let me ask you, do you know the voice of your great shepherd? Do you long for his voice so that you can be gathered near to him? Do you long to be here in this church building where his voice can be heard? Well, if that is the case, if you love to hear his voice, then you will also go to that church, to that church, Where his voice is truly heard. Now you do not want to go there where his voice has been muzzled or distorted. Or where you hardly can recognize his voice. It's understandable that there are so many churches all over. It is because of man's sin. Man wants to come with his own idea as to how to worship God. A shepherd continually has to discipline his sheep in order to keep them from harm. That is also how the Lord God disciplines his sheep. He does that through the office bearers in the church. He does that through the preaching. But not everybody likes to have their freedom limited in that way. They do not want to be disciplined. They do not want to be told that there are certain things that they cannot and should not do. And so they go there where no warnings or few warnings are given. They go there where they only hear about the love of God. Where they do not hear his warnings. The catechism says that the Lord Jesus Christ gathers his church by his spirit and his word. Indeed, he gathers his church from all over the world. Be sure brother or sister, that you continue to be part of that church gathering work. And the only way that you can be sure of that is if you take his word seriously. Don't go there where the voice of the shepherd has been distorted. In the end, you may no longer hear his voice at all. As it is, he wants to speak to you with a clear voice. Listen to him. And you will, as the Catechism says, remain a living member of his church into eternity. God will continue to gather his church all over the world until the end of time. He will not abandon his church. And as long as you want to listen to him, he will not abandon you. Amen.